for the quitters. Game quitters. Listen up, quitters. Game quitters. It's the Game Quitters Podcast with Cam Adair and Jason Wellwood. On today's episode, a GQ podcast first. Our guest, mental health specialist, Tyler Walleen. We'll talk tech, behavior, mindfulness, and more. And now, yo, Adrian. He's the Rocky Balboa of Game Quitting. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode four of the Game Quitters podcast. Super excited for today. We have a special guest. His name is Tyler. He's going to be sharing a bit of his story, some thoughts on youths and addictions and thinking patterns. So really excited about that. But first, Jason, what's going on? Cam, today I'm doing fantastic. I hopped in the car and drove a straight three hours north to Edmonton, Alberta to sit side by side with our special guest for today. And this is our first ever guest on the podcast, so it's a huge milestone for us. I'm so happy to introduce this guy. We've been longtime friends, so it's just an honor to have him on the podcast today. Tyler Walleen is a mental health and behavior specialist from right here in Edmonton, Alberta. Now, for the past five years, he's been working with youth and young adults to recognize and change maladaptive behaviors and thinking patterns. Tyler is an ardent student of human behavior, and he seeks awareness of the interacting factors of why people do what they do. A beautifully written piece by the man himself. I couldn't have done it any better than that, that's for sure. Tyler. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so Tyler, give us a bit of background. Like, Where did your passion from this work come from? You know, Why do you care about working with youths and addiction you know where's that where's that all originate uh the passion comes from when i was in high school and uh going through a bunch of anxiety and um just needing some coping skills and i had found a mentor in in those years who was our school counselor and um throughout our history together we developed a kind of shared passion about um, learning about people and so that directed me into my university career where I uh, studied psychology and wanted to kind of try out that in the real world and so I started working for group homes uh, where um, uh, youth and young adults were living um, before 17 years old and trying to help them out with their problems and from there I uh, became a a sort of youth counselor, and uh, I'm continuing to do that work right now in uh, an elementary school. That's super cool. So, growing up, you were experiencing some anxiety. Uh, prior to that, do you feel like you always kind of had this sense that you wanted to work with other people and help them with these different challenges, or or was it really you know you felt kind of anxious? you know, throughout those years and, and that really kind of spawned your interest in, in how you can help others. Oh, definitely. Going going through that myself and coming through it successfully and with the skills to um, to cope with uh, other situations when they arise, that was something I wanted to pass on to other people. Yeah, I, I definitely relate to that because, you know, a lot of our work in this area came from, you know, obviously my personal experience. And, and I think that you know, when you have that personal touch with it, you're able to resonate with people so much more. And so do you find that you're able to communicate and, and build rapport with people more because you have that personal touch? That's definitely something that I've worked at developing over the years. I, I didn't have it immediately. I um, 
kind of leaned into the more introverted aspects of my personality when I realized that in order to help some of these people, you need to put yourself out there and kind of show a little bit more than maybe you're comfortable with. Um, so I've, I've been working at, over the years, uh, putting myself out there more and being open about my own struggles. And I find that that has helped, definitely. Just the um, equal footing of respect that you can start off on once you're once you're open. Right. And I know that you have some experience with gaming as well growing up. And so, you know, I, I kind of have two questions first, just more, you know, what's your experience been like with gaming? How has gaming kind of interacted in your life? And, and second, you know, you're working with a lot of youth around kind of mental health challenges, addiction. And so do you see gaming as, as a problem for them or are you supporting them with that at all? Uh, myself, I have been a gamer since I was a little kid. I grew up with four older siblings, and the oldest one's nine years older than me, so I actually had the original NES all and everything up until, I guess, when I, was, when I bought my Wii. That was the last thing I bought. I gamed probably a lot. Looking back, it seems like it might have been a lot. But uh, once I got into university... I really found that I needed to focus a little bit more on my schoolwork, so gaming took a backseat, and it only came out when I uh, was struggling not to procrastinate because that was uh, something I would go to, load up the Elder Scrolls and sit there for four to six hours, and that's uh, that's how you avoid studying and writing a paper, that's for sure. Right. Um, actually, recently. Um, I actually bought a Switch too, so I've been. Uh, I bought that and then got too too far back into gaming because that Zelda game is amazing. But I had to quit again because uh, just too many other things to focus on. Right. Yeah, I feel I feel similar. Like nowadays, I probably have enough habits developed that I could potentially play and and be fine, or you know at least game a bit more in moderation. But you know, it, it's so easy for it to just go down, you know, that negative spiral of playing too much. And, you know, like last night I went out to a comedy show and I would not have gone if I was gaming because I would have just stayed home. And so working with a, with youth, what do you think is u- unique about working with youth when it comes to addiction or, or these sorts of behaviors uh, compared to working with maybe adults? With youth, I think the really important thing is to develop the skills of impulse control because that's when they're going to have to learn them in the first place. And uh, if you can get that quick with a kid on his iPad or something like that, um, I think it would be so much easier and you would see less problems with people in their adult years who are addicted to technology or use it as a crutch or are lacking other skills because of the, the time that they've time and effort that they've devoted to these things. Right. And it, actually takes like your brain when you're younger up until you're 25 years old hasn't even really Mm -hmm. set right and so you know developing impulse control when you're young is super important because that's when you're going to be most vulnerable so how do you kind of help youth develop impulse control what would some of your strategies be? oh this is actually a perfect question for right now i um i'm working in a in an elementary school and ipads are uh, a good reinforcer a good carrot on a stick uh, for the kids to to get them to do work, but it depends on the home life and what the parents allow. And um, so, with the impulse control, the main thing that we work on is working on or learning the reward skill, where 
you do the work, you do it right, you do it good, and then you get the um, the break time, the iPad or whatever it is. And we're trying to make that more of a continued education activity that they're on, whether it's something reading, something educational, like a video of about how the engine of a car works, something like that. So instead of just having it be like that immediate feedback of, oh, I click this button to play this game and all the, it lights up and everything's fun. It's more of a, this is a tool that you can use to make your life better. We're trying to get that as more of the drive to use the iPad rather than just the instant gratification. Got it. So there's a counselor named Ann Steele who I was speaking on a panel with in Seattle last week. And she's a big believer in not using addictive or potentially addictive behavior or, you know, substances, et cetera, as a reward um, for kids. And so I'm curious what your thoughts are on that of, you know, a lot of parents use the iPad or video games or something like that as a reward for, you know, say doing homework. And, you know, I can see where that comes from as parents, right? You want to use it as a reward and you want to encourage kids to, you know, do things that they need to do first and prioritize and have that kind of impulse control. But do you think that parents should be cautious about using potentially addictive things as rewards? Three thoughts on that. The first is that any behavior that kind of supplies this dopamine reward uh, system is naturally going to be addictive. So whatever it is, a parent runs the risk of exposing their children to an addictive behavior. So it's just being aware of that and recognizing that you have to control, I guess, the, the specific kind of use and then the access to it. So if it's always on and the kid is going to be there like playing on his iPad until 2 in the morning, that's not, that's not an appropriate use for a, um, But if it's kind of controlled with the the types of games or activities that they can do, whether it's something educational, that is a good use of technology. And I think that is important because we live in a technological world where we have to train our kids that this is how you use these things. Um, This is how you read the information that's coming to you and how you think about it. And by doing that, we create more literate citizens. And that's important. And my third thought on that is just Taking care of kids is hard. I can understand and I, a, how a parent would think, okay, like they're calm, just give them the iPad for a second and I can go do something else. I have been there with the kids that I work with. It's a lot of attention to, to try and keep someone this age occupied. And so if you can do it right where you get something that is a, that's teaching them skills, that's good. And if it's keeping them occupied while well, you can do other things like making supper, or taking care of your other kids, that's there's no problem in this for, with that in my mind. It's just the, um, the way that it goes about that's important. This is a, a really good kind of segue to, you know, what is addiction, right? Addiction is very, it's, it's this word thrown out like, you know, some people even use I'm addicted to video games as a positive thing, right? Like I'm, I love, I'm so passionate about video games. I'm like addicted to it or, you know, I'm addicted. Oh, to, I'm addicted to Game of Thrones. Right, exactly. Are you? <laughs> and, 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 you know, it's it's this term that... Are you having Game of Thrones withdrawal? Exactly. It's, it's this term that can be kind of thrown around and, you know, that that's all right. You know, people can do what they want. But, you know, we get a lot of questions of how do you actually define addiction? You know, especially when it comes to gaming where, you know, it's not officially recognized in the DSM, right? So, you know, what is the definition of addiction and, and how do you see, 
you know, how people should be thinking about whether or not they're addicted to things. With addiction, I think the DSM is still useful here because even though it's not a, uh, even though gaming addiction isn't um, like laid out in, in concrete terms about this is what you can expect, I think using the criteria for substance use disorder and uh, gambling addiction are both pretty valid and, and analogous to what you would see for a gaming addiction. Um, such as like yeah, uh, spending longer time than you want to while you're gaming, or not being able to cut back, or wanting to, and not being able to do it. Um, but because there's no strict definition, and I think that's, um, I'll I'll leave that up to the realm of the psychologist. I think for an individual level, the point where you have to start becoming concerned about what it, what you are addicted to is when it starts to affect your life. Uh, so if you're gaming so much, or if you're doing anything so much that your life is suffering in other areas and able to accommodate that behavior, that's where, uh, to me, an addiction becomes a maladaptive behavior and something that needs to be addressed. And then in that right, once you're aware of what the behavior is, you can start trying to pick it apart and see what uses that behavior is serving. Is it a utility to you? Is it um, a coping mechanism? Is it a relaxation? What did it start out? And what is it currently doing in your life? And from there, you can, you can find a better strategy to go about changing the behavior, whether it's adding something else um, uh, in your life to uh, add fulfillment. Because to me, the most important thing for anyone's sort of life is finding meaning. And if gaming or any sort of behavior is one of those behaviors that adds value and adds fulfillment to your life, I don't see that as a problem behavior. I see that as something that's giving you identity. Right. And so one of the interesting things that, that we see a lot is, you know, gaming is something that's very meaningful to people. And gaming is something that uh, is an identity for a lot of our community. And... We also ran a study where 84% of our community, you know, this was a sample size of 400 people who filled the survey out, 84% of them knew they had a gaming problem over 12 months ago. And so you're kind of balancing different plates, right? Where on one hand, 84% knew gaming was a problem over 12 months ago, you know, yet they continued to play even amongst negative impact. They continued to play even though they knew it was a problem, but it was also a source of identity and it was also something very meaningful to them, right? And so when when you're in that space of, of you have an addiction, it's causing negative impact and you know it, but it's also providing meaning and fulfillment and identity in your life. How do you navigate that? That's, if you, that's where it gets a little tricky because if you want to maintain the behavior, then you run the risk of naturally giving in to those impulses where you... Um, if it's around, then you do it, that sort of thing. And I know some people can't do that. I'm like that where um, if the impulse is there and I have access to it, I'm going to do it. And so for me, cutting out those kind of things is, is more or less a cold turkey situation. But we'll talk about the other side of it later where you're trying to cut it out completely. But maintaining and keeping that identity is more about developing impulse control skills prioritizing skills and the ability to 
uh, not use it as a crutch. Uh, say if you're having, if you had a bad day or something and you just, that's all you want to do is go home and indulge in whatever behavior it is that you find rewarding that way. Maybe there's a more productive, proactive solution to that problem. And I think maintaining the identity would be switching from a uh, prescriptive gaming versus like you're doing it to make it make something better to more of a relaxation one where okay I've dealt with that problem and now I can do this I can go do this recreational activity for fun where it adds enjoyment to my life because I've already taken care of the things that I needed to do right and I know for me I'm far more likely to be all in or all out right it's actually easier for me to abstain than it is for me to try and moderate. Uh, I always tell the story of, you know, my roommate, she's amazing, and she has like 15 dark chocolate bars in the cupboard. And she'll come home every night and she'll have like a bite of one and then that's it. And I think that's the craziest thing in the world because if I had 15 chocolate bars in the cupboard, I would eat all of them right now and just no ability to kind of moderate in that way. And gaming is similar where you know, if I'm gaming, I'm just going to game all the time, always, you know, forever. But if I'm not gaming, it's actually not that hard for me to not game if I just don't do it, right? But moderating really in a lot of areas of my life, whether it's work or, you know, anything else. I, I love surfing specifically because I can only do it for about an hour and a half before I'm like, okay, I'm so tired. I need to get out of the water. And it actually almost has that like moderation built in, right? So identifying how you are right whether you're someone who it's easier to abstain or be all in or if you're more of a moderator identifying that i think is super important so one of the the themes that, that's kind of come up in this is about identity and you know if, if you're going to try to change a behavior you have to change it on on the level of identity and that has layers to it and so you know, what do you see are, are some strategies for people to kind of reframe their identity in their life? Well, I just kind of did something similar in my own life where I, I it wasn't it wasn't related to addiction or gaming or anything at all. But in order to kind of diversify the areas that I was feeling fulfilled in, I took a look at the the goals that I wanted to accomplish or that I have wanted to accomplish for years and maybe just never got them done because one thing came up and then another thing came up. Or maybe it wasn't just the right time to do this certain thing. And for me, those things that are identity building just stayed by the wayside. And it took um, a little bit to kind of focus and see which, th which of those things were actually... A, or, were actually achievable. So t creating goals on your achievement is one thing, but making sure that they're manageable goals. That's also important to you, having that sort of realism. So getting back to, to building identity, it's uh, taking a look at your life and seeing what makes me feel fulfilled. Is it getting every achievement in Halo 3? Or is it maybe writing a, a book or reading or writing a song, something like that? or going back to school, or, yeah, there, there are so many things that people can do. Even those small little achievements, those little accomplishments, those things build up over time. 
kind of finding those and creating meaning and creating value in your life. Well, it's one way to uh, go about creating identity to replace the hole that might be there if you take out something like gaming. You you have a uh, a great system of organizing some of those goals. Oh, yeah. You know, I know Tyler well. We've been actually friends since high school. Um, since elementary school. Since elementary school, I should say. We've known each other for a long, long time. So uh, when we're off the mic and just kind of hanging out and chatting, uh, actually just about, what, a couple weeks ago, you, you and I were on Skype and you turned your camera around and showed me your bedroom. And you've got you had a wall just full of post-it notes and I asked you, what the hell are you doing with all those post-it notes, man? You look like a, you look like a madman. And you explained it to me and I went, this guy's really focused. T- tell him a bit about your, your system there. Cause I think it's really simple, but effective for reaching those goals. That was essentially uh, one way of recognizing where my brain uh, has problems with organization and probably a reason a lot of these things um, fell behind is because they weren't like a visible reminder to me. So I made a job board where I um, put up all of the goals that I wanted to accomplish, separated them into individual tasks, and ordered them roughly in about how I wanted to do them. And from there, it was just picking one thing off the wall, saying, I'm going to do this today. I did it today. Throw it away pick another one tomorrow and you know it kind of almost reflects like you said do i want to get every achievement in halo 3 does that make me feel fulfilled that actually got me thinking when you have a post-it and you can take that thing hold it in your hand crumple it up and went i did that today that's kind of like getting that ding achievement sound when you're playing your xbox right but it's so much more fulfilling than that could ever be it's just it's a good way of measuring it a good way of keeping track of what you're doing and honestly that's a good practical like app applied psychology measure is that um we like things to be neat. We like things to be clean and tidy. And so if there's, if you have a wall full of post-it notes, it's going to feel good every time you clear off that wall and make yourself not look like a crazy person, just a little bit less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had to be careful about bringing girls over until you clear up the wall. Yeah. You know, don't want to give the wrong impression. So we're talking a lot about identity, and I want to hear from you guys. Do you feel like gaming became an identity for you? And when you quit were you able to shift your identity? And, and if so, how? I'd love to hear from you. So hit me up, cam at gamequitters.com. Share your story with me or hit me up on Twitter at Cameron Dare. The interaction with you guys is really why we do these podcasts and these episodes. So, you know, we're here with Tyler. We're talking about identity, changing your identity, really using that to be able to shift behavior in, the, in your life. And, and so I want to hear from you guys. How does this interact with you? And is this something that, that you had a struggle with? Hit me up on Email cam at gamequares.com. And so, Tyler, do you see, when you're shifting behavior, do you see there there are phases to that? Uh, it may not necessarily be an addiction, but there's kind of phases to, to shifting kind of maladaptive behavior in, in your life. Do you see that as like there's phase one, phase two, phase three? And, and if so, what do those phases kind of look like? Well, there's definitely a honeymoon period that starts off, whether that's right at the beginning or we're somewhere in the middle where you kind of get used to the change in behavior. Um, there's a period where everything kind of seems like it's going pretty smooth. And that can either lull you into a sel- or a false sense of security or it can be fine. And um, so that's what I've, I've typically found when we're, when we're changing behaviors is it's not always just, hey, this is done, and then you don't have to worry about it anymore. You have to be aware that um, you can really 
succumb to like those sort of impulses at any point, really. But the important thing to consider is in this stage, you're still learning not or unlearning this this association and the behavior. It's called extinction. And um, where you where you uh, get rid of that connection in your brain, recognizing that that the connections are still there, it's something that your brain still naturally wants to do. Once you give in, if that happens, if you end up giving in and relapsing, it's important to recognize that you're still in the process of quitting. A relapse doesn't mean that you're done. It means that you got to refocus and try again. And um, then that helps maintain the entire stage of, of the quitting, whether it's abstinence or, um, or uh, cutting down gradually just maintaining the plan that you're going through helps a lot. Like having that as a concrete thing too is, or, or concrete in that you have your plan written out or somewhere that's visible to you with the reminders that, hey, if you relapse, it's okay. You're not, that's not the be all end all of uh, your story of addiction. Curious, if you see someone who maybe struggles with an addiction or trying to even break a bad habit, even something maybe not as serious, and they go through that point where they have a relapse into something, it's almost kind of like a crisis situation, right? Because you kind of beat yourself up almost. You're kind of thinking, I failed, you know, I should just give up. And there, there is that negative side of you that just wants to give in and, and give up. So you say you have the plan, right? The plan is supposed to keep you focused. Sometimes in those moments, because I've went through this myself, you just forget about the plan because you're in such a bad spot. It's like you don't even care to go and maybe you have it posted up on your bulletin board, but you don't even go and look at it because you're you're just depressed, frankly. For someone, if you were working with someone like a youth, for example, how would you keep them focused in that moment if the plan wasn't enough for them to stay on track? Like, what would you do to help them or what could they do for themselves? Well, I think there's two slightly different scenarios in there that I wanted to touch on. The first is the fact that maybe you just forgot and, hey, you found yourself sitting playing a phone game or something and that's not something you wanted to do. Then again, that's where it's important to recognize, oh, right, I shouldn't be doing this. And not overwhelm yourself with the guilt of, oh, I, I, I relapsed, I'm yeah. a terrible person, I have no impulse control. It's just recognizing that it's a process and you have to um, take the, the step backs in stride and still keep going forward. As for if, say you saw someone who was struggling with an addiction and you saw them in behavior that was... Um, either a risk to them relapsing or say they had already relapsed, um, it would be important not to overwhelm that person with judgment. Right. Where if you don't be overly negative about the fact that they're doing that. Because that is... Mm, it's not a very positive and, and self-esteem building thing to say, like, oh, you're just you're just terrible. You're right. the worst because you did this. Yes. But for uh, a layman, the best thing would be to say that, hey, you're human. This is human. Addiction is human. And trying to get away from that takes a focused, concerted effort and support. So if you can be the person that is the support rather than uh, just tearing them down for any kind of failure, right. be the person that's a supportive person.
Right. And it's easy for sometimes I've even seen that with family members and stuff too, where it's like they mean well, but because you may have slipped up or failed, they kind of criticize a little bit. Oh, yeah. Like they want you. It's almost like they think, oh, I'll give you tough love and that'll straighten you up. But sometimes it's not necessarily the best route. So I, I see what you mean. You have to be very careful in those situations. Yeah, I think it's fine to express disappointment because the the person that that uh, relapsed is probably feeling disappointed too, right. and so it's okay to have that sort of empathy. It's like, oh, that's too bad, but then you have instead of leaning into the negative aspect of it, you switch to the positive. Right. Oh, yeah, it's disappointing, but here are certain steps that I can help you with, and then maybe that person doesn't feel so alone. So we're here with Tyler Walline. He's a mental health and behavioral specialist in Edmonton, Alberta, which is a couple hours away from my hometown of Calgary, where I grew up. And we've been talking a lot about identity, behavior patterns, being able to shift them. And so I guess, you know, just a couple more questions for you, Tyler. How do you identify what your thinking patterns are? Because your thinking patterns are having such a major influence on your behavior, but you may not even know what your thinking patterns are that are influencing your behavior. So how do you become more mindful of what those those thinking patterns are? It's hard for me to say, um, here's the thinking pattern and here's how to recognize it, because I think that is kind of um, a, a more subjective thing based on how, like the specific way of you, of you thinking. So for me, it's really easy to pick apart the reasons why I do a certain behavior. And it's, and extending that, it's easier to offer suggestions to other people of like, oh, well, here is a potential reason that you might've done this. And for someone to do this to themselves, I think honesty with yourself is the biggest key. If you find yourself, you find that you did something that you are experiencing some cognitive dissonance over, where you're feeling a little uncomfortable that, hey, that was a bit of your behavior, instead of trying to rationalize that in a way that explains it, I would say being honest about your own faults and then digging into that, it can be illuminating. Right. And doing it from a place of non-judgment, right? Being honest with yourself kind of begins by, by you saying, you know, I'm going to be transparent about what's going on here, but I don't necessarily need to beat myself up about it because it is what it is. And I need to recognize it because awareness is the first step to being able to make a change. And so I think having non-judgment is a really important part of that thinking process. Uh, so, you know, a couple of recommendations for, for me, you know, for you guys to develop mindfulness, you know, first meditation obviously is fantastic. Um, and there's different types of meditation, right? For me, meditation is actually surfing, right? Surfing, playing basketball, going to yoga, working out, like that's meditative to me because it's actually giving me opportunity to reflect. Uh, for someone else, maybe it's listening to a guided meditation or maybe just sitting silently. I also think journaling is a really good way to develop more mindfulness because you're actually reflecting on your experiences. You're reflecting on your thoughts and, and your emotions. And so if you guys want to journal, you can journal on the Game Quarters forum. That's available on GameQuarters.com. Journaling every day or, you know, pick, pick a kind of frequency every week. You'll get a lot of extra support from the community, and that will really help you be able to process your experience and identify what's going on. And so getting more clear on what your thinking patterns are and how you're thinking about things, what your perspective is, the stories you're creating about your experiences, 
being more mindful about all of that is really kind of a big step in the right direction. Uh, so, you know, journaling, meditation, any way you can cultivate more mindfulness in your life is going to bring a lot of value. And I know it has for me. And so I guess, you know, just kind of last question, Tyler, you mentioned that anxiety was something that you experienced a lot growing up and anxiety is something I experience a lot of. I still deal with a lot of anxiety in my life today. Uh, I don't really see anxiety as something I'll ever be able to kind of like get rid of fully. It's more something you learn to dance with, you learn to kind of navigate in your life. And so for you, what are a couple of the things that have really helped you be able to transform anxiety in your life? Because my experience of anxiety is that when I'm feeling anxious, it can kind of create such a, such a strong pull in, of compulsion and desire to kind of escape from it, right? It, it can influence your behavior so strongly that it's hard in that moment to be like, oh, I'm feeling anxious and be able to kind of step back and shift it. You know, I've, I've worked really hard for a long time to be able to do something like that, but still today it's, it's very challenging. And so I know a lot of people listening to this deal with a lot of anxiety in their life. And so what are some kind of tools that you recommend for them to be able to navigate that? The, I don't know if this would be a very good tool per se, but it's, it's the thing that I found I did myself with anxiety a lot. And I'm by no means ex uh, saying this should be a tactic that everyone tries because I think it's um, specific to myself. But when I would have anxiety attacks, I kind of leaned hard into them in that... I, I saw that my body was feeling something and that it was uncomfortable and I kind of pushed, pushed it a little bit um, to really be in that moment and to experience like the anxiety that my body was producing. And that's very, very draining and it doesn't feel good at all. Um, but I feel like when once I was able to accept that my body was doing this and I could uh, monitor myself and how I was feeling, I got through them a lot faster than I used to uh, and maintained at least just a little bit of physiological certainty or like awareness that my heart rate's elevated, I'm watching it and I'm aware and also I'm keeping track of my thoughts and like seeing whether it's writing them down or just um, trying to explore them logically, like take them as far as they go. Uh, but the biggest thing that I think that ties into that, and this is actually something that I would recommend everyone does, is a bit of rational emotive therapy where you take a look at the cognitions that you're having, whether they're about yourself or about a situation that you're in, and you be as, as rational as possible, essentially. Uh, so if it's a thought of, oh, I'll, I'll never be able to do, or I'll never be able to quit this game or something like that, or I'll never be able to change this behavior, uh, taking that apart and saying, okay, if that's true, how is it true? Why is it true? And uh, what would any alternative explanations look like? It, those ones are easier to do when it's something um, very internalized. Uh, so it's, I'm not good at this, I'm not good at that, those sort of things. And then once you can turn that rationalization around and maybe find the flaws in the thinking patterns, because in anxious thinking patterns, there's always flaws. You just got to probe enough and then you find it. Very well said. I definitely agree. And Jason, you want to hit 
Tyler with any any final thoughts, final questions. Yeah, you know what? I one thing that I've always appreciated about you, Tyler, is that you are an avid reader and you have you're the kind of guy who not just reading but like anything music, uh, you always seem to find these gems and these really insightful pieces. So for our listeners today or anybody who may want to read some books on any of the things you've talked about today, like is there anything you can think of that springs to mind that you think could be helpful by any or what authors would you recommend? Absolutely. Uh, there's one that comes straight to mind. Cam, you were talking about like meditative activities, essentially. And uh, there is a book called Flow by Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi, who is a, a psychologist that talks a lot about meaning and peak experiences in your life. Uh, and essentially, this topic of flow is mindfulness in activities, where you find yourself... Um, I don't know whether it's playing music or for yourself surfing where you're in that state where it's almost like a meditative thing like time feels disjointed and you're in a certain amount of awareness that you don't really get anywhere else and to me that's where people build meaning and fulfillment in their lives and so I recommend this book because it helps you reframe experiences into yeah something that can add fulfillment in your life in multiple areas rather than just something valuable yeah something being something that you do yeah. and you know actually on the point of meditation since we're kind of on that topic i know cam when we were just a question ago or so we were kind of discussing meditation as a way to unwind and relax and you had said you know what for me surfing is a form of meditation and i think that's very true that Meditation doesn't have to be you sitting cross-legged with incense burning and, you know, the sounds of the forest. It doesn't have to be that. Meditation can be a number of things. In fact, I read a book by a fellow named Dan Harris, who is a news anchor. I believe he does Nightline. And he wrote this book about how he meditates now. And, you know, you would have asked him before he started his journey into meditation, he would have thought it was the stupidest thing that it was only for people who do yoga and drink chai lattes, you know, like he never would have touched yoga and or yoga not yoga sorry meditation is what i'm talking about meditation so he started doing it and he wrote this book called 10 percent happier and it's more of a it's a a good beginner's guide to meditation i found because if you want to get into it but you don't want you know maybe you don't want the spirituality or part of it or the the religion portion of it portion of it it comes you know from buddhism you just want to know what the practice is he's very he's for one a good writer he's very entertaining and funny but he just he phrases it in a way that's accessible to, to anybody who may be interested. So uh, don't write it off. If, if you think you want to try meditation, I would recommend that book. Um, there is one more topic, though, Tyler, I wouldn't mind bringing up. If, if we have time, Cam, I don't know, are we running a little behind here? Or? Yeah, go for it. Okay, cool. Because we had talked about this before we got together, and that was about kind of communities and subcultures of gaming and how gamers define themselves and how sometimes we use the core uh, the term hardcore gamer we threw that around you remember and how that can be in the gaming community a very positive thing like i'm a hardcore gamer i play you know eight hours a day i'm, I'm one of the best in counter-strike or something but outside of the gaming world you could perceive a term like that to be almost a bit dangerous in a way because it implies that 
maybe someone struggling with addiction who identifies as a hardcore gamer could just be fueling that addiction further by having this label, if you see what I'm saying. I see what you're saying. I think this comes back to uh, what I was talking about, about meaning and fulfillment in your life. Because there are people, like we live in a world now where you can be a professional gamer. Right. And so if that is something that you're doing that's it's essentially it is your identity, it is your life, and it's something that you're good at and you're building something, then I don't see any problem with gaming eight hours a day to maintain that sort of um, commitment and identity. But saying that, then you have to look at the other problems that we were talking about with addiction, where is your life suffering to accommodate this behavior? Are you not eating good food? Or are you just uh, phoning for pizza every day so that you can game and train? Or are your social relationships suffering? Those sorts of things. Um, so it, it's really the utility uh, of the behavior. If it's getting you something and it's uh, productive and proactive, then uh, I don't see any problem with that. But when it comes to the labeling aspect, I think the more intri uh, intriguing parts of the label is that there's a certain class, like elitism almost, with being able to say that, oh, I'm a hardcore gamer, I'm a core gamer. Those other people on their phones, they're, they don't know what they're doing. Uh, so it, that, that's what I'm kind of interested in with that label is how, do you, how does that stratify the 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 social aspects of being a gamer and um how do all the other social aspects tie into that and i think that's a very interesting topic that i could probably go on for way more than the time that we're going to have here so Fair i'll enough. just leave it there for save that. it for another episode down the road you never know right but hey i appreciate the insights though and uh yeah cam i don't know is there anything else popped up in your head yeah, just want to say thanks so much for coming on, sharing, sharing your wisdom. I think tons of tons of good stuff in this. And, you know, ultimately, we want to hear from you guys, right? So hit us up. Let us know what you guys think. You know, do you agree, disagree? How do these themes of identity and labels and subcultures and thinking patterns and addiction relate to your life? And what questions do you have? If you have any questions, you can hit us up, cam at gamecores.com or at Cameron Dare on Twitter. And we're going to hop into the Q&A episode, but I just want to say thanks so much, Tyler, for being here. Thanks for sharing your wisdom, and yeah, best of luck. Of course. Thanks for having me, Cam. Yeah, he's a great guy, that Mr. Wally. I can't recommend him enough. I wish uh, we could throw out a, a plug for you or something. How about this? You're also, in your own time, a musician, and I think you do some pretty swell songwriting. You have a SoundCloud account. Could we direct people to that if maybe they want to check out some Tyler Walleen originals? Sure thing. Have at it. What's the SoundCloud account? I think it's just Tyler Walleen. It's just Tyler Walleen. That's it? SoundCloud. All right. I'm going to look that up while we hop into the Q&A because uh, I do want people to check out your music, man. You're, you're a really talented guy. And... Uh, I just think it'd be great. So, Cam, uh, should we just go right for it then? Q&A? Yeah, so the first question comes from my buddy Chan, and he says that his attention span has improved, but he still has problems with it, and he wants to know, how do I improve my focus while I drive my car? Now, I think this question is kind of funny because how many of us actually relate to that? Oh, right? yeah. We're driving, but we're not really paying attention. We're texting. We're tweeting. We're... And, you know, personally, I, I actually believe the solution to this is self-driving cars, but 
while we're still driving cars, you know, we need to be we need to be able to pay attention, right? So how do you improve your focus while you're driving? And I think one of the best challenges to to do for this is to actually use driving as an opportunity to to be present. Right? We talked a lot in this episode about mindfulness and meditation and being more present in your life and you know, when we're driving, it's so easy to get caught up in I'm driving from this place to this place and I'm listening to music, I'm com- completely distracted, completely entertained versus using it as an opportunity to see like have you even looked at the landscape that you're driving by? Are you seeing other people in their cars and what they're doing? Are you paying any attention? And I think that driving is actually a really good exercise for you to develop more mindfulness and more focus. And the way you develop more focus is by being more focused. There isn't really a secret, top secret hack. You can only have so many supplements and sleep so much and do all these other things to influence your ability to focus. But ultimately, you being able to focus comes down to you choosing to focus. And as you do that more and more and more, you get better and better and better at it. And so while you drive, use it as a challenge. Can I be present while I drive? Can I just actually focus on enjoying the moment, enjoying the drive, trying to see what I see, what's, you know, what signs are there, what shops, what landscape, you know, you're driving Jason from Edmonton to Calgary, and that's kind of boring. I've done that drive about a thousand <laughs> Very times. Very flat and straight. It's not all bad. But, though. you know, there, there, there are some really cool things along the way, right? And so when, when you begin to get more present in your life, you open yourself up to the possibility of, of being able to explore and, and see what else is out there, right? But we live in this culture where we're constantly distracted, entertained, and we never take a moment to actually step back and just be present. Uh, Sam Harris in a recent episode of the Joe Rogan podcast said that boredom is just our lack of or our inability to be present in the moment. And when you get present to what is in the moment, boredom goes away because, you know, I can look at this table I'm, you know, sitting next to or this couch that's here or these carpets on the walls. Yes, I'm in a room where there's carpet on the walls. And when I get present to that, it actually becomes very interesting who decided to put carpet on these walls? You know, I can I can see the different patterns and stuff. And, you know, when you get present, boredom seems to subside. So I think if you want to improve your focus while you drive, be more present. Use it as a challenge. Uh, sorry, I, I think we both want to jump in with something. I'll let Tyler go first, though. Share your insights, please. Yeah, uh, one another important or great thing about that uh, that ties into the mindfulness about uh, what you're talking about, whether you're, you're feeling your, your attention slipping or just trying to be focused. Um, one of the main tenets of mindfulness is be is the non-judgmental aspect. So if you found that, oh, hey, like I just spaced out for the last five minutes, I forgot to focus, then it's important to not get down on yourself for the inability, or at least that initial inability. Because if you say, oh, I can't do it, then you're not gonna do it. But if you say, oh, I, I just lost focus, I'm going to refocus, then you learn that skill and you build that skill. It's very important. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Cam, I just want to throw out a, a little driving activity for the listeners. If you do struggle with the, the mindfulness thing and you want to practice a good gateway to that, it's not quite meditation, but I even played this on the way up here because I may have been overclocking a little bit. It's called Watch Out for Cops. This actually keeps you very mindful because cops like to hide. You know, sometimes they hide behind the overpasses waiting for speeders to go by. You don't have to be speeding, and I'm not recommending you do. You shouldn't speed. But keep your eyes out and see if you see cops parked on the road waiting to give people tickets. It kind of, I would always be looking ahead, you know, 
uh, a certain amount ahead and, and scanning. Is there going to be a cop somewhere? Am I going to get caught? I don't know. But it kept me aware. I didn't zone out as much just from doing that. So that can be a little gateway into, into practicing mindfulness. Cam, let's go to question two. That sounds like a constant anxiety attack oh, the whole yeah. time you drive. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm so now alert. paranoid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, the sec- so the second question is from Andrew. And he asks that, you know, he says that he's been consuming a lot of information, reading a lot of books, but not taking action on any of it. And so he asks, you know, how do I take more action? And for me, this is really, you know, the core discussion that we have on Game Quarters, right? How do you stop just escaping and and mindlessly doing activities and start being more intentional with your life, right? So the first step is you have to become aware of what you're doing, you know, so you're aware now. The second step is to be more intentional. And so this really comes down to the identity of are you a consumer or a creator? And if you aren't taking action, there's kind of two parts to it. The first is what are you supposed to be taking action on? If you lack clarity on that, if you don't even know what you're supposed to take action on, then you definitely will not do it. And you'll just end up being like, well, I have nothing else to do. I'm bored. So I'm just going to go and watch YouTube videos or I'm just going to go and game or I'm just not going to do anything versus being very specific and intentional. I know exactly, you know, after this podcast, I have to work on my slides for this Vegas talk I have coming up and that is due tonight. So it actually makes it very easy for me to be able to focus on that because I have to do it. Whereas after this podcast, if I had nothing else to do, I would just do nothing, right? And so being super clear on what you need to take action on is the beginning of that process. And the other part of it is about embodying these ideas in your life. And so reading and learning and developing your knowledge is super validating. It makes you feel like you're getting really smart and you know all this stuff, but can you actually apply it? And there was a very big distinction in my life when I decided to start embodying what I actually knew and letting my life speak for my values and what I stand for and actually putting this stuff in the work, that's when my life changed. Because there was a long period of my life where I knew all these ideas. I knew everything I was supposed to do. I knew all these meditation and mindfulness and changing thinking patterns and all of it. I knew that stuff, but I couldn't actually apply it. And that changed when I began to focus on how can I actually embody these principles in my life. And the way you do that is by putting them into action in those moments where it's difficult, right? So in that moment when you're driving your car and you catch yourself, you know, reaching for your phone to check Facebook for the 15th time, or, you know, when you're sitting at your computer on Facebook and you grab your phone to check Facebook, you know, it's in those moments where you catch yourself and you say, wait, what's really going on here? And, you know, where is this coming from? And, actually applying it in your life, right? It's one thing to know you need to have a morning routine. It's another to actually do it every single morning, right? And so most people don't put stuff into action and that's why most people don't have the results they want. And so there's 15 different ideas you can take from this episode alone, apply it into your life and you'll get results, right? And that's what's so cool is when you actually put in action from these different ideas, you will get results. So just take one idea, right? Take one idea from this episode and start applying it into your life, whether it's adding a meditation practice, whether it's stepping back and identifying your thinking patterns, whether it's journaling tonight about the role identity plays in your life. What is your identity? Maybe it's looking at some sort of habit you have that's not really serving your values. Maybe it's writing down what your values are. There's so many different ideas from 
this episode that you can apply in your life. And when you do, you'll get results. But taking action is all about taking action and just stepping into being someone who is not just a consumer, right? But is actually a creator and society is kind of built on this idea of entertainment. And so if you don't take a stand for your your life and if you don't take a stand for taking action, nobody's going to do it for you. So you have to take action. Uh, Any other thoughts, guys? Action is great. And I I think that's that's such a good thing is to to identify the the parts of your life that you want to be productive. Um, but I think you can't be that person 100% of the time. And I recently got a point uh, where, or got to a point where the things that I was doing just felt like a drain after a little bit and needed to step back and have some some recreation. And that's important too, is maintaining that balance where you can recognize that I've done all I can today like any any more effort that I put into this is not going to be productive effort and so then trying to find something that you can do to um, kind of recenter yourself give yourself that extra boost and rest and finding activities that are also fulfilling in that aspect so uh, maybe it's not the gaming that's important there maybe it's grabbing a, a musical instrument and playing something maybe that's the productive and um, and restful activity that you're doing to get back into the, some of the more productive things later on. Well said. I would agree with that. Also, as Cam mentioned earlier, if you're sitting on your computer on Facebook and you check your mobile phone to check your Facebook, it might not just be that you prefer the mobile version. It might be a problem. So please be mindful of that. <laughs> Final question. <laughs> Cam, I'm going to let you read it off. Yeah, so the final question comes from Daniel, and it's asking, how do I develop more confidence? Which is actually a question I get a lot. And for a long time, I struggled to develop confidence. I didn't really know what confidence even was. And where I've came to in my life is that confidence is actually about trust in yourself. It's trusting that you will be able to handle whatever you need to handle. And so actually, a lot of my confidence in my life came from you know, all the shit that I've been through, right? Breakups and, you know, depressing, depression and just the, these situations in my life, these adversities that have been super challenging and overcoming them has given me an immense amount of confidence because I know that I can handle whatever I need to handle, right? Travel gave me a lot of confidence because you can put me anywhere in the world. I don't even need to speak the language and I know that I'll be okay. And that gives me a lot of confidence. So I, I think, you know, when, when you're asking a question about how do I develop more confidence, I like to pose it, how can you trust yourself more? How can you recognize that you are able to handle a lot more than probably you're giving yourself credit for? And the more you kind of focus on that, the more you can actually accept that you can have confidence. I think so many people are waiting for confidence to magically appear in their life instead of taking it and owning it and recognizing that you get to have confidence, right? You get to have confidence because you know that you can handle whatever you need to handle if you need to handle it. And that'd be okay. And I think when we're going through a period, especially when it comes to, you know, an addiction in our life, maybe our confidence is low, but that's because we haven't been taking the time to actually trust in building integrity in our life, right? So trust yourself, know that you'll be able to handle it and use these opportunities when you're quitting gaming as an opportunity to overcome something challenging in your life. But when you do, make sure that you take a moment to step back and recognize you can feel more confident about who you are because you overcame it, you got through it, and you were okay. 
And that is something that you can be confident about. I see confidence as something that's earned, not something that just magically appears in your life. Definitely. I'd echo that. I also think that there's a set of skills that you need to build in order to, I guess, work on your confidence as well. And I would say when Cam, when you say it's something that's earned, I would almost say the skills associated with confidence, like being able to spark up conversation on the fly or, you know, introduce yourself to somebody or uh, go and take on a big task, knowing that even if you don't know everything, you'll be okay. You'll get through it. Like these are skills that you need to work on. But I think when you're in your, like your natural state, you're not anxious, you're, and this could be something that comes from meditation very well too. When you center yourself and you're just in the moment, you're present, you're, you're not anxious, you're, you're comfortable, you're, you're who you really are. I think confidence and building the skills becomes, it's like you get a, a boost, really. It, it becomes so much easier to build that confidence. Cause like, I think sometimes people who don't have confidence, they look at it like it's, it's this skyscraper that they could not possibly reach the top of, but that couldn't be farther from the truth. It all starts with a solid foundation. I know this is kind of cliche and cheesy, but it is. Like if your foundation is strong and that's just centering yourself, it really does come easy. It does. It's not something that's unattainable. Uh, I'd say that um, that self-directed and effortful push to get something done, that's a confidence builder for myself, is being able to trust yourself to put the effort into something that it requires to get done and done well. Uh, once you're able to exert that kind of um, concentration, that to me that's where confidence comes from because that's your full effort into something that you're passionate about yeah. and so the results no matter what they they're going to be they're i think they could either be um the the good results that you were expecting and so that's a confidence building thing or you recognize that hey i put enough i put effort into this and i didn't get what was what i had expected but that's okay because now i have this the effort to put more effort in right you're constantly building and building up right yeah. it's using your whole ass not your half ass well, you know, this has been a trip, guys, but I think we got to send her on home here. Um, before we do that, I just want to do, like I said, I would here, Tyler, I want to give you a bit of a, a shout out for your, your SoundCloud channel. I think people should go check this out if you want to hear some uh, music by the man himself. And it is quite simply Tyler Walleen. That is the name you'll search. You can go soundcloud.com slash Tyler dash Walleen. Walleen is spelt w-a-l-l-i-n-e check him out he's got a few good songs on there some originals some covers and all just great stuff and hey cam what do you think of this idea i'm just spitballing here why don't we outro the show today with one of tyler's tracks what do you think of that perfect sounds good if, if he gives us permission sounds good which one should we do i'm gonna let you decide um i don't know what you think sounds good for this all right while you think about that let's uh i'll, I'll kind of give some plugs so first uh, thanks so much, everyone, for the questions. Chan, Andrew, Daniel, really appreciate it. If you want to send your question in, go to cam at gamequitters.com. Send in your question. You can also hit me up on Twitter at Cameron Dare, and we'd love to feature your questions on the show. That's why we do these episodes. It's for you guys. So if you guys have any questions, any way that we can kind of support you, any way we can you know, answer something that's on your heart, let us know. Again, that's cam at gamequitters.com. And as always, if you're looking to quit gaming and you're looking for support, GameQuitters.com, GameQuitters on YouTube, join us on the forums on GameQuitters. There's a huge community of people who have your back, who want to support you. And, you know, asking for help is, is a huge step in the right direction. So just want to thank you guys for being here. Thanks for listening. Let us know what you think. And uh, Jason, 
any last thoughts? Yeah, as always, if you want to send in some questions, either to Cam or I, you can also find me on Twitter, JP underscore dub. That's J-A-Y-P underscore dub on Twitter for anything. Or if you just want to, I don't know, give me a shout out, shout slurs at me. I don't know. What do you do on Twitter? What do people do on Twitter? Send all the hate mail to Jason on Twitter. Oh, that's what that was for. See, I knew he wanted me to get a Twitter account for some reason. (laughs) That's (laughs) That's what what that was. was. Please do not send all your hate mail. Come on. (laughs) Anyways, you can find me there. But uh, Tyler, we're going to let you take this thing out with one of your own tracks. You know what's a really good song is uh, the Bryce Canyon Motel. So between the two, I'm letting you have the final say, but that would be my pick. Let's go with the Bryce. It's so happy and uplifting. I think it would just be great. At the end. At the end. Okay, we'll play the second half of Bryce Canyon Motel. Cap, take it away. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. Shadow.